Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. So, how's your heart health? Now, I'm not actually talking about the organ. I'm not a doctor. But now, uh, this is... This is what we're going to be. It's actually a couple of slides. This is our passage from today. So it's from the book of Jeremiah 29. So this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, sorry, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So just a little bit of context. Um, Jeremiah was a priest and a prophet, and he was called by God to give a warning to the Israelites. So the Israelites were God's chosen holy nation, and God had called them to be a light to the idolatrous nations which were around Israel. But unfortunately, instead of doing that time and time again, they would disobey God and they would idolise the very same things that the idolatrous nations were idolising. And so God kept sending prophets. Jeremiah was just one of the prophets. And he kept, they kept bringing the same message. Unless you, unless you start, being, start being obedient and, and unless you um, put God as first in your heart then this is what's going to happen. And so what happened was, um, and it did come to be in 586 BC, uh, was that um, the punishment would be that the very strong nation of Babylon, which was idolatrous also, um, they would come, they would destroy Jerusalem, and then they would take the Israelites into exile. They, had, they were taken into Babylon. So this passage that we just read, they are presently in that exile and they will be there for 70 years. And as I studied this passage for today, I was just overwhelmed by God's mercy and grace. So although they continued to be disobedient, it wasn't a one-off thing. This just kept going on and on and on. They weren't doing what God had called them to do. He still wanted an intimate relationship with them. And although there are many differences, you might read that passage and think, well, we're not in 600 BC, we're today. Even though there are differences, there is a theological truth in this that applies for today. There are, there are some theological truths that apply for all times. And that is, God loves us and desires an intimate relationship with us. 
In Genesis 1.27, it explains that we were made in the image of God. But the relationship with God was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. That's when sin entered the world. However, scriptures continue to explain to us that even though this happened, God still loves us and still wants that connection with us. To maintain his, Israelite, his relationship with the Israelites, he created, so he brought them out of the land of Egypt, he saved them. You might remember the story of crossing the Red Sea and then he brought them to Mount Sinai and he gave Moses 613 commands. Now you may have heard of 10 of those commands called the Great Commandments, but there was actually 613 of them. And they were put into place to maintain that relationship between God and the Israelites. God established this covenant because of his great love for them. He didn't want to have that disconnect with them and he needed them to fulfill his purposes. Furthermore, scriptures in both the Old and the New Testaments reveal not only God's love for them but his love for us today. So looking at them, so Hosea 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. How beautiful is that? I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So not when we were good and obeying him, but when we were sinners. And James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. He is still, he has still got that same message, come to me, I love you. And although we too have rebelled and may be rebelling right now, and we may be disobedient right now, or maybe we've been in the past. And maybe we've followed idols, or maybe we have idols in our lives now. He still desires that we truly know him. However, I think the problem that, that some of us can have, many of us I think, is that we have a counterfeit relationship with God. We have substituted what God, that intimate relationship that God desires, and it's become quite religious, and we do have to be careful of that. We need to look at why do we do the things we do? Because God wants us to do what we do from a place of being in relationship with him. If we have that intimate relationship with him, then what we do flows from our love for him. So service, it's motivated out of pure motivations because we love him. We just want to serve him when we read the Bible. It's because we love him. We want to read his word. It's exciting to us. When we pray, we want to connect. We have a sense that he's with us all day long. But if our relationship has become stale and religious, you'll know. Because we tend to do things because we've always done them. It's, it becomes a religious duty or maybe even a habit. Or maybe we hope to win God's heart back. But we can't do that by doing stuff. It doesn't work like that. 
He desires relationship first, and then the doing will come from the being. I have, well, like I said, I have four children, and they're all grown. So part of that is really sad as a, as a mum, because I had those children because I, because I wanted that intimate relationship with them. So when they were at home, when they were little, I was their world. I loved that. That suited me just perfectly. And, um, but of course, as they got older, I become le became less of their world. And then they eventually got married and had children, which is what's meant to happen. So when we get together, I would be devastated if I knew that their motivation was out of duty, if they weren't wanting to get together with me because they love me and they love to spend time with me. If it was just a matter of ticking a box because that's what a good child does, that would break my heart. And if I feel like that, how much more does God feel like that if we come to him out of a motivation of duty? So it begs the question that, well, it, it makes us reflect and ask that question, God, when I read your word, is this because I love you? When I serve you in church, is this because I love you? And if you don't have that, pray for that. He will give you that desire. So if, the problem, if God loves us and desires intimate connection with us, then what's the problem? Oh, back at the verse, I forgot about that. We're looking at the verse again. Um, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This gives us a little clue at what the problem is. The heart is vital to this type of relationship. And I'm not talking about the organ that pumps, even though that's vital to us living. I'm talking about the biblical Hebrew meaning of heart. And to, to the Israelites, in that era of time, the heart was the centre of everything. So it's where thoughts came from, it's where um, they got a sense of the world, it's where their emotions came from, it's where they made, the de made decisions from. And the heart, with all its wants and desires, it impacts our behaviours and our actions. Proverbs actually warns us, above all else, guard your heart. I remember there's been times in my life where there's been a lot of bitterness going on around me and God has warned me to guard my heart. For everything you do flows from it, so it's really important. However, Jeremiah explains that Judah's sin, so that's Israel, is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Their sin is indelible. It's like a stained blot on their hearts that can't be removed. And then Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart can't be trusted. So they ended up breaking... The first two commandments, so verses three and four are the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, they did. And you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep their commandments. And then the New Testament gives us the same message. He went on, he is Jesus. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. I think you get it, that the problem is the heart. <laughs> I think you've gotten it now. So, looking back at the verse again, let's have a look at, there are some conditions to this verse. This is a promise, which is wonderful. We can hold on to that, but there are conditions. So when, you might have noticed the word when, that's, that's called a conjunction. So that means for one thing to happen, the other thing needs to happen. The word seek, well, that's a real searching out. It's very intentional. It's not like we just go along in our Christian walk and just expect that God's going to do his thing. We've actually got to be digging and searching for God, and it's got to be with all of our hearts. He must be our first love. And sometimes what we can end up doing is putting things before God. And they're actually called idols. And some people would think of idolatry like you get a picture of it, like that it's very archaic, you know, people sort of tramping around a fire and, you know, worshipping something. But actually, um, idolatry is well and truly alive today. And basically, idolatry is when we put anything before God. And they can be good, they can be good things. I know, it seems crazy, hey, but they can be good things and things that are naturally with themselves bad. But anything that takes God's place is an idol. And it's, it's far more subtle than carving an image like the Israelites would have done. It's quite insidious. These idols can come into our hearts without us even knowing. Well, because God loves us and desires intimate relationship with us, he has provided a solution. He promised the Israelites if they repented and loved God with all of their hearts, he would be found by them. And today that promise still exists for us. Furthermore, today we have Jesus, which is amazing. So the days are coming, declares the Lord. So this, this was a prophetic message from Jeremiah. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So it's going to be different from the old covenant, those 613 commandments that I told you about. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, I will remember their sins no more. So when God gave the law to Moses, you'd be aware that it was inscribed or chiselled into stone tablets. 
Through daily sacrifices and obedience to the law, they were forgiven. However, when Jesus came and he, he lived his perfect life, he died and he rose again, he created a brand new covenant. We live under that new covenant and his law is written on our hearts. And if, when you accept Jesus and repent of your sin, then you stand justified before God. So the righteousness that Christ won on the cross, when Jesus looks at us, he sees that righteousness. Now I can see some people are starting to nod off, so I'm going to give my personal testimony. Hopefully that'll wake you up. <laughs> that has been a lot of information. But let's talk about reality, my life. So I became a Christian when I was 15, um, a non-Christian background, knew nothing about God, nothing. My parents, I wouldn't call them atheists, but uh, they were brought up in the war in Berlin. They saw a lot of stuff that they should never have seen. And I think it just, I just don't think that they could imagine God would allow something like that. So for them, they just never allow, even allowed um, their minds to comprehend that there could be a God. And, well, Jesus, the name Jesus I'd never heard of. I didn't know what Christmas was about. I didn't know what Easter was about. Um, the only way I heard anything was through religious education lessons. Praise God for the RI teachers, woohoo! Um, which I am now on, which is exciting. And it was through an RI lesson um, in a public high school in grade 10, Holland Park High School, just down the road. And... And God came and the Holy Spirit came and spoke into my heart and I knew that this was truth. However, like many people, the years went on. You know, we, Dave and I got married, we had children, life got busy. And look, I still read my Bible, I still prayed and I still loved God. But as the years went on, I knew there was something missing. There was just something missing. I started teaching, I'm a teacher by trade, started teaching in a Christian school, which was amazing. I loved it. And even some of you here, I've actually taught your kids. <laughs> um, and that was such a blessing. And, and I knew that was a calling. I knew God had called me to be a teacher. But in, the, in my last year of teaching, which I didn't know was going to be my last year of teaching, in the middle of the year, I was struck down with... Um, Look, it wasn't anything really bad. It was just silent reflux. But for me, it meant that my throat burned. And when my throat burned and I spoke a lot, which teachers speak a lot, and as you can tell, I'm a really good speaker, um, by the end of the day, my throat would be burning. And so then I'd have to work a few days and then I'd have to take days off and went to see specialists and they tried different medications, but nothing was working. And by about the end, well, by about the November, I knew this was it. I'm going to have to resign. And I was not happy about that. This was not in the plan. I was called to be a teacher and I was praying for healing and I actually got quite angry with God. It was, well, why don't you heal me, God? Like I'm having an impact with these kids. Um, I, I clearly I'm meant to be here, but he wasn't healing me. And looking back, I realized that probably the year before that happened, I had started being very discontent with my life. 
It wasn't that I wasn't happily married. It wasn't that I didn't love my children. It wasn't that I didn't love my job. There was just something. There was something in me that I knew wasn't right. It was like there was a missing, something missing, and I didn't know what it was. All I knew was that if I had died at that time and gone to see Jesus, I would have had regrets, but I didn't know what they were. But I was definitely seeking, but I don't know what I was see didn't know what I was seeking after. And one day, these many days, I had to take off from work. I was sitting there in despair. That's the only way I can put it. Because to me, if I couldn't teach, then I might as well jump off the planet. That's how in despair I was. I couldn't see that there would be any other purpose for me than teaching because I didn't realize that had become an idol in my life. And that's a very good thing. Teaching is great. But when you put anything before God, it's not a great thing. And so one day I'm sitting there and God talks to me. And I wasn't expecting it. Now look, when I say that, I don't mean a big booming voice. No one else around me would have heard. But I knew it wasn't me talking to myself. And he asked me a question that I would never have asked myself. He said, what's your centre? And I thought, that is the weirdest question I've ever heard. Like, what even does that mean? What's your centre? And, and then I started thinking about it and I thought, yeah, I think I, think I get the gist. Um, and of course, being a good Christian, I said, well, God, you're my centre. You're my everything. And he said, really? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Really? And in that moment, I can't even describe to you what happened. It was like, I can't talk about it without crying because it's so intimately connected with my relationship with God now. But in that moment, I saw my life for what I had made it. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't a, my life wasn't bad. But Jesus was not my center. So if you imagine your heart, my heart was crowded with lots of really good things, family and work and all the other stuff. And God had to sort of fit in there, you know, into the gaps. And sometimes he wasn't even in there. I think he was in my backpack. And in that moment, I sensed God's heart. And that's why I cry, because it broke his heart. Because that's not what he wanted from me. He didn't want me to do a whole bunch of stuff for him. He wanted me to be with him. More than anything, his message to me that day was, can you just be with me, Di? Can you just stop doing all this stuff and feel like you've got to tick all these boxes? Because I just want to be with you. And how can you not say yes to a God like that? It was beautiful. And in that moment, I repented of all of those things that I knew had come between me and God. And I recommitted my heart to him. And my life has never been better. I didn't, I didn't get healed. I still had to have the meeting with the principal at the end of the year and say, well, I can't, I can't teach like this. And I resigned joyfully. It was like an out-of-body experience. 
I was so filled with God's peace and joy because he was filling my whole heart that he could have taken everything away from me and I would have been okay. And that's the thing with idolatry. Whatever else takes the place of God in our hearts, they can be taken away from you. And, and Dr. Tim Keller, some of you might have heard from him, heard, heard of him. He said, you'll know if you've got an idol because once you've prayed and done what you can do for something to be fixed or healed and it doesn't happen, then your reaction is extreme. You'll either be angry, really angry, or funnily enough, you'll go into a pit of despair. And that's exactly what I did. So idols are things that we can become aware of if we just imagine, if this got taken from me, what would my reaction be? But the wonderful thing is when we have God as our centre, he can never be taken from us, ever. Everything else can be taken, like Job, but not God. You cannot take God away from me, and he's all I want. He's all I need now. And so now my life is always, every day, change my heart, change my heart, God. Make me more like you. What do you want me to do? And that's how I've ended up here today. Ten years ago, I did not imagine I'd be preaching at a church. There is just no way if you told me ten years ago. But God, God changes our hearts. But I want you to imagine for a moment, if what, what if I'd said no to God that day? I could have. He could have spoken to me and I could have walked away from that dining room table the same. Now, if God is speaking into your heart today, don't say no. It's the best thing ever. We're scared. We're scared of what he'll ask of us, but he is completely trustworthy. Amen. <laughs> he is. We can trust him. And if we don't think we can trust him, we don't know him. We don't know his heart, his character. I know his heart. I know his character. I can trust him with my life. I can trust him with my family's lives. So I want you to think that, imagine right now if God is speaking to you and you say yes, or you repent of whatever it is, whatever, he's, whatever it is he's calling you to do. Imagine if you say yes to him. I tell you, it'll be the best thing you ever do. And there'll be some people here today who have never given their hearts to Jesus. You've never made that decision. But the Holy Spirit, see, God comes to us first. He's the one who draws us first. And then we respond by seeking him. It's an amazing exchange that happens. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, today is the day. Don't be scared. You can trust him, absolutely. So I'm going to finish with prayer. And then if at the end you would like extra prayer or you'd like to talk to somebody, you know, there's heaps of Christians here, you can just turn to the side and you know, ask them to pray for you or you can come down the front and we'll happily pray for you. So let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you that you are so, so good. You are and always have been a good, good father. 
I pray, Father, that everyone in this room today will know that. Father, I pray that if there is anything that is coming between us and you, that you would reveal it to us now, that we would repent of that. And if we're struggling to hand over things or struggling with other things in our lives, help us, Father, not to run from you. You already know. You already know our hearts. Help us to be honest with you and just lay it at your feet. And Father, for those who have never given their hearts to you, we pray now that as they repent of their sin and, and hand over lordship to you, we pray that you would fill them with your spirit. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much that you are so good. And thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.